This is almost as bad as when Peter got fired as the first director of Terms of Endearment. Yeah, I don't know, man. You ever just feel like life is just catapulting towards like, some greater purpose? with bloated ego. We are the only DJ crazy enough to tattoo Jackie Brown on his ass. This is Michael Mann, and I ride with Extended Clip. Welcome to Extended Clip, episode 76. I'm one of your hosts, Eddie Averill. I'm Malcolm Baum. I'm JT White. And our double feature this week is Je Tem, Je Tem, the 1968 film by Elaine Rene, and 2005's Family Guy Presents Stewie Griffin, The Untold Story, uh, directed by Pete Michaels, but we all know the creator is Seth MacFarlane. I thought it was Peter Griffin. <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, who's the Seth guy? <laughs> Too many Peters for me. Uh, yeah, I'm not a I'm not a fan of Peters. If you catch my drift, <laughs> we'll get to Peter later. But uh, J- JT, why why did you bring this pairing of films to the podcast? Um, well, I'm gonna be honest. I like. I mean, I just wanted to talk about Family Guy more <laughs> on the podcast. <laughs> Go back to our roots. Uh, yeah, get back to basics. I mean, like now that we have a Patreon going. It's like uh, I I want I put we put the dog shit slop out in front for the piggies uh, in the uh, in in the main feed episodes and you put the brain food the things I'm doing the real research for <laughs> behind that sweet sweet money wall and so I just like we do a lot of hard work on this podcast I know um, and I just wanted to have an episode where we could really uh, lean back and enjoy ourselves. Um, and also with this, I wanted to like, I wanted to bring cutaway gags into the podcast <laughs> so we can do them in, in, in pod form. Like, uh, um, do you guys remember that time we had Peter Griffin on the podcast? Peter Griffin? Oh, fuck. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I could edit in these cutaway gags if you want. <laughs> no, I... I I fucking goddamn it! <laughs> I put it. I got a soundboard for. Hey, I'm Peter. Wow, that was really that was hey, great. How's it going? I'm Peter. <laughs> Peter, are you, you're here. Who is this? <laughs> it's Malcolm. It's Malcolm from Extended Clip. <laughs> How's Peter Griffin? <laughs> wow, I've always been a big fan. You know. Um, so, what do you do on your days off when you're not the Family Guy? I'm fat. <laughs> I f- hey, hey, I feel that, brother. I'll give you a minute to absorb that. <laughs> All right, come on, guys. <laughs> let's, let's shape up here. Uh, so why was it Jetem Jetem that you wanted to pair with Seth MacFarlane's classic creation? Um, well, I mean, I knew the Stewie movie was about time travel to a certain extent. And I really haven't explore, uh, explored Elaine Renee too much. I mean, I've seen uh, last year Marion Bad, uh, Hiroshima Monomore, um, and some other stuff. And I know he like gets real weird with it and is obsessed with like time stuff and memory. Um, and this one seemed like it was a little bit more straightforward and like directly like involving time travel. And I was like, okay, I, I'm not sure if I'm going to like this as much as 
other stuff where he gets looser and more experimental. But I think it would be a fun uh, time. And I had a I had a good time with it. How'd you boys feel? Well, I've never seen a, a Alan Resnes movie, as I like to call him, <laughs> when I read him in books because I, I don't know how to pronounce French. You know, to quote Vincent Gallo, I don't really wish to either. Um, <laughs> You're too scared to ask the DVD clerk for an Alan Resnes movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's my 1995 lifestyle I'm living. Um but yeah, I was I I enjoyed this. It didn't you know exactly blow me back, but I I had a good time with it. I don't know. <laughs> this is my first reaction. I'm in I'm in Roper mode. <laughs> I'm gonna be very general from now on. I think we're just too excited to talk about Family Guy to talk about this. <laughs> maybe maybe so. Maybe that's why I'm I'm slipping right now. It's okay. Fucking uh, up the podcast. <laughs> This was also this is my first feature by Alain Rene. I'd seen an early film of his, uh, and also uh, Night and Fog. Uh, the early one I think is like All the Memory in the World. It's about like a library or something like that. I don't really remember. It sounds boring. No, you know it's weird because I remember that kind of zoning out for it, and then it came back in my dream. Like this one tracking shot through a hallway was in my dream that night. And the next morning, I was like, All right, I got to at least check out Night and Fog. This guy's got some tricks up his sleeve. And then I watched a movie about the Holocaust yes. called Night and Fog. And it was not very fun at all. I was going to say, what trick did do you think he had up his sleeve there <laughs> what, on that watch? So, Jetem Jetem, uh, after a failed suicide attempt, Claude is uh, selected to participate in an experiment in time travel. You know, doctors sedate him, or really scientists sedate him and put him in a giant like puff pastry looking thing. Yeah, it uh, looks like a brain but with the skin of a nutsack. I thought I thought it looked like Oh, a, I thought it looked a lot more tasty than that. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it looked like a, a combination between an artichoke and a, a garlic cloves. Okay. I think Malcolm and I are at least on the same page here with food. JT's brain is clearly in the <laughs> yeah. gutter. Yeah, it reminded me of a Gilroy Gardens. You ever been there? <laughs> reminded me about my ta- my youth in Gilroy. <laughs> Tasting the wonderful garlic there. So anyway, they're trying to, you know, send him back uh, to one year prior for one minute before returning. And, you know, they've done this experiment on mice and it's worked out quite well. But the machine malfunctions and his entire adult life, it seems, flashes before him in very fragmented and disorganized episodes ranging from, you know, a few minutes to just a single image. The, the dynamism of the scenarios that Renee cuts across is like so extreme. You know, there's melodramatic swells that really like make up the story of his life and the, the romance that it mainly tells. But uh, there's also scenes of him just waiting for the bus and they feel like they're given very equal weight in the way that Renee approaches uh, this character's memory here. That was, I mean, kind of because I like this film, but I feel like what held it up from like from like being really great for me was how it experimented with memory in in that regard like just showing like events it felt like there was too much form to it at a certain point with like having the overall I mean like obviously it's a narrative film and Mm -hmm. it has like this arc of the relationship and sort of exploring that but like I don't know those beats feel too purposeful for like what it's going for and i think that's really what prevented it like i I don't know if it was more random uh, i definitely would have liked it like i don't know also throw in like 
there are many moments in this guy's life. Maybe him as a baby. You could have him shitting. You could have him jacking off. Like there's like I don't know other things that I wanted to see in his in the broad scope of his life. But I do really like um, how Renee like cuts between all these events and that like there is. A randomness there where it's like it will be for like a second and like I don't know when he really gets into the rhythm of that I feel like that's when the movie is the most effective mm -hmm. I definitely agree to, with you that I could definitely feel the structure of this movie even before you get into like um, you know the time travel one minute scenes I feel like each scene is like two minutes like you know tops or whatever very short condensed scenes that you yeah. know are very good at you know transmitting information and whatnot, and I, I think maybe yeah, I would have enjoyed it if it was a little more scattershot with the memories, you know, you know, a little bit less of a traditional, you know, romantic drive. But I think the way it doles out information, you know, with that, with that in mind, you know, with it, with that being the thing it's trying to attempt, I think it does that well. Yeah, because I, I said that thing about these scenes having a range of duration. You know, some of them are just a flash of an image. Some of them are a few minutes long, pretty long dramatic scenes. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, I feel like it is pretty systematic in terms of when those scenes are like the actual dramatic ones that make up the story of him and Katrine. Uh, it does feel very like a systematic plot with a bunch of detours sticking out of it. Kind of like how that puff pastry looking time machine has those icicle looking things sticking out of it, you know? Uh, but I, I think those spikes that stick out are what give this film so much life. There's sequences where his body will just kind of disappear. And the, the sequences with more lyrical cutting uh, give this film so much life that then feels somewhat drained out in some of the longer dramatic scenes. I agree. And I think that like the contrast in Claude's performance um, before, like, when you see him, like, after he's committed his suicide attempt to, like, him enjoying life uh, with his uh, girlfriend, I think that really creates a lot of energy and drive for me as well because it's like you start off the film with him being, like, so just fucking dead and hollow and black-pilled and ready to just mm -hmm. be like, I don't give a fuck. Like, that's yeah. I'm down for time travel. Let me die. Yeah, even um, though it came out before, it's like the sequel to The Devil Probably. Like, this is yeah, the guy... Yeah. I, after his friend shoots him, except this was a suicide attempt, but same thing, basically. Uh, but Brisson is way more black-pilled, obviously, uh, than yeah. Renee, who still finds some value in even the memory of love, which, eh. <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think he's the opposite of black-pilled. I think he's blue pill yeah on love because he's uh he like i love that that's how that's how we speak yeah know, now we just say pilled and bullshit like that but uh <laughs> but uh no it's this movie's uh definitely very romantically driven i mean mm -hmm. like you're saying I mean, JT, it's the fucking title is yeah, i love you i love you yeah <laughs> yeah delivered the goods i'm think i'm looking at this from like a consumer report angle and this is a quality product but uh um you know, with the romance, it's like, I feel like there's no scenes, like most of the scenes involve like his, you know, relationships with like women and whatnot. And there's no like, like innocuous scenes of like, I don't know, I'm skipping a rock. There's a few, but it, it is like this, this guy loves love. Dude. Yeah. He wants to be in love and he <laughs> believes in it. Uh, one thing about these scenes that we watch, I was wondering, are, are we supposed to be in his point of view? Do you think he is watching from the camera's perspective or is he kind of like trapped in his own body like just like acting out the motions uh or I, like I, I wasn't quite sure about that which i kind of like that it's a little 
ambiguous because this is such a like scientific seeming movie mm-hmm. that's so cold in its like hospital and institute of research settings that uh the parts of the mechanisms of time travel that are left ambiguous are it's pretty interesting to me what what is left open to interpretation you know uh because we've talked about films where people are watching their past selves before we've talked about click We've talked about defending your life, uh, and, and this kind of takes a different approach where we don't see, we the only times we see Claude respond to this are, is when he comes out of this, you know, flashback state and he awakens within the time machine looking like he's about to die, you know, and we don't really get like a dramatic reaction to those scenes. It's more of just like the physical uh, exertion of doing time travel or whatever yeah i mean eternal sunshine definitely took a lot from this and it's like i enjoy that he's not for me it's not him observing those moments in the past he's like living in them a little bit and then just pulled back into the present and i like that there's no awareness there where it's not like he's like oh no where he can like try and change his past that would be like very frustrating i think like a lot of what really works about the film and like what it's getting at about like love and just time in general is like how much of it is just fucking like wasted and like i don't know you're you're grasping at uh trying to like build uh something more permanent there and i enjoy that he's not he's not present with the knowledge of the time travel when you see him in the past. Yeah. I kind of interpreted it as like, yeah, he's just seeing his memories, not mm-hmm. being, you know, uh, immersed into them because I feel like those scenes where he cuts out and he's kind of, he feels tired of course, because of like whatever this drug, but it's also kind of like the way memories used here is kind of like a, like as a narcotic or something like that. Like something mm-hmm. you kind of, uh, his memories like deeply comfort him and like, but also not to, you know, just, just kind of like going through all these memories kind of just has a uh, capacitating effect to him. And also just like Rene as a master editor, I think some of these juxtapositions between his memories are so great. There's one cut from him, you know, walking to a shot of him on a train talking to someone with the landscape whizzing by uh, the way that he was moving across the screen in the scene before. And yeah, I think Rene's editing like really helps uh, this movie move along even if you know there, there's a point b- before it goes into the third act that might feel a little slow there were there were some points where I felt the le- even though it's only 96 minutes and I was like okay th- that's kind of strange for a <laughs> 96 minute movie to feel that long but uh, I, I really loved uh, the way it wraps up you know where they think they've lost him and <laughs> it goes back into that editing mode that I described before where he's kind of just transporting through all of these different spaces and times and his body is you know disappearing seemingly uh, only to end up on the lawn of the Institute with a bullet through his stomach, you know, yeah. uh, it's, it's wild. No, I found that very funny when like they, they think like, well, I guess he's gone forever and they all just kind of leave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, like they're not going to deal with it whatsoever again. It, it's so funny. The procedure of them leaving, turning off the lights, just like that long shot of them walking up the stairs. I thought was going to be the last shot of the film. It's like, well, yeah. they lost him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I definitely like the ending is very solid in that regard. And I think it gets at more of like sort of uh 
institutional critique and like also just Claude sort of feeling like trapped in like bureaucratic institutions throughout his life sort of being like, I mean, there was a lot of him like talking about like his experience during World War Two and just being caught in the machinery there that it makes sense that like he dies, he just sort of fades out and dies for a second. They're like, oh, let's call it a day. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then I mean, him coming back there at the end is uh, is great. Yeah, I think the ending's really great, too, because what we've been watching this whole time is kind of like a common description of what people see when they die. You know, your life flashes before your eyes. And then we end on the scene of him shooting himself. And then rather than having yet another series of flashbacks, he kind of just like zooms through time and space with no like affect, you know, on his face whatsoever. Uh, he's just kind of like half dead and half floating. Uh, and, and I think that's kind of a great way to kind of represent the experience of watching this movie and like the the melodramatic swells paired with the kind of dissonance uh, and just like ambiguity of where you are at any given point uh is really interesting and i think it's a really beautifully shot movie you know uses the 1.66 frame very well and like the uh really cool white gray and blue kind of color scheme of the the institute and the hospital are really nice and uh yeah i like this movie quite a bit three and a half bullets from me i'm gonna go three and a half bullets as well yeah i feel like the color palette here it's like a it's like chewing five gum or something like that or just you know like very minty uh gum flavor you know that comes to mind and yeah i like i like what uh you know resonus is doing here uh i i I like i like the how you know people change is seen through these memories and like you could see him you know being sweet to his girlfriend to where he's like you know cheating on her it's just uh seeing all of these contrasts together has a great effect jt what do you th- what do you think? I, d- I know you got opinions. <laughs> I guess it's the the sixth sense because I'm giving this three and a half bullets as well. Yeah, no, it was a really fun time travel experiment. I think it did that gimmick in a very interesting and fun way, where it's like I don't know. A lot of those movies are very like front loaded with information, and this just like because of that quick nature where it just breezes through that exposition there there's no need to like delve into it any further like you clearly Renee is more interested in like time and memory than he is in any of the sci-fi mumbo jumbo and when it's at its it's most fragmented and non-narrative I feel like it really shines for me because there'll be moments where it's just like you see characters you never really get a full understanding of any of the names other than like his his girlfriend um that like the other characters in his life you don't have a very clear understanding of but with something like this i think that makes it more meaningful we'll be right back on extended clip and we're back on extended clip it's malcolm in the middle everyone's favorite segment uh malcolm any notable viewings this week well, you know, I want to bring back a sub-segment, a personal segment of mine, and it's A-Lister Malcolm, AMC A-Lister Malcolm. I'm, I'm back at the movies, but this is also a time travel episode, so this is March, and I just saw First Cow by uh, <laughs> Kelly Reichardt, and uh, you know, I've, I haven't been really keeping up with 2020 movies. I mean, why bother? But I feel like we're probably going to do a wrap-up episode, so I want to... 
I want a nice, impressive list, you know, just to make everyone proud of me. And first cow, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a good amount. Um, you know, it's definitely very kind of low key, and uh, I like I like the business aspect of it too. I like how this friendship movie turns into like a, uh, you know, it's very low stakes, and then it just kind of turns into a, a milk caper where they have to sneak milk to make their delicious biscuits. And I, I, f- I found that enjoyable. Uh, Reichardt's visual style, also you know, solid. And I think I saw Schrader diss in this on Facebook, which I thought was interesting. He said he couldn't focus and that he misses the movie theaters. But uh, uh, I don't, I don't know, Paul. You, you kind of, you, you kind of have some thorny movie opinions sometimes, you know. Just, just a, a call out, I guess. But love Paul. I ran out of things to say about the movie. But, <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think Rosenbaum was right on by comparing it to McCabe and Mrs. Miller and Dead Man because I feel like this you know for better or worse has no connection to the classical western whatsoever you know if it has any connection it's to the revisionist westerns of the 70s through 90s and i think that's why a lot of people like it and maybe why i don't for eddie's conservative corner i I, I get you but like i think it's so much not a western to me that i didn't even really get in that mode to where it's like i mean i liked it by the way it's just like i'm a really big fan of reichardt so you know minor reichardt is disappointing to me but Mm -hmm. it's still like really good yeah no totally understandable and i'm not as familiar with her work to be honest but uh so maybe maybe i'm just a a new fool as they say (laughs) as burn didn't yeah bernie mac would say that so uh but yeah, I I think that that's something I noticed right away that I feel like she was trying to avoid the westernness of it. And I noticed on Letterbox doesn't even have western listed as the genre. Really? Yeah. I think that's true. So take that up with TMDB or whatever. I've never been on that site, but I I want to I want to Is that how people change posters? Can I just change posters through that website? Yeah. That's pretty. That's a lot of power. It is a lot of power. No one man, you know. Uh, anyway, uh, JT, before you uh, answer my question, would you mind opening the window for me? <laughs> you got it. And like opening the blinds a little, because it's not. Yeah. Good effort noises. A little behind the a little peek behind the curtain. Uh, a little pink behind the curtain. We'll get to it. <laughs> JT, what about you? Two dollars, two dollars. That's all it takes to change the life of a podcaster forever. Uh, if you start your monthly uh, contribution now, um, you will be ensuring us getting rich and becoming fat cats for years to come. Uh, but I've been going Ozu mode this week, essentially, is what I'm trying to pivot that to. And I'm going to talk more about Ozu on the Patreon that's coming out um, this upcoming Tuesday. But I'm going to give you a little sampler of that right now. I've been plowing through a lot of the early Ozus because I was mostly familiar with like uh, 40s on Ozu, and I've been going back to the early comedies. When I was a, a naive young boy, I was like, silent comedies. That sounds like bullshit to Where's me. Where's all the wisecracks? <laughs> yeah, where where are the real jokes? I thought you were gonna say, where are all the white women? <laughs> where are the white women at? In these Ozu silent comedies. <laughs> I do find myself asking where the white women <laughs> in all the Ozu movies. Um, <laughs> this is the dumbest yeah. episode we've yeah. ever done for where's, sure. Where's Marlena Dietrich? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, to expand does. on that bit, uh, <laughs> I, I just can't get over that. 
provide an example of a white woman. <laughs> yeah. um, Marlena Dietrich. <laughs> I mean, they do. That's they our do. mindset on the, you know, we remember the classics on extended They clip. do talk about white women in Ozu sometimes yeah. where they like, I mean, m- like Ozu's more of a cinephile than I feel like the Western uh, cinephiles would let you think. Mm-hmm. There are many times where like characters will just reference like uh, mostly like actors and actresses um, that they like. Um, and I know from like Ozu's journals and stuff, I think he like would list a lot of American movies that he was seeing in like the 30s and whatnot. But a particular movie I watched was I Was Born But dot dot dot. And uh, this is from 1932. Uh, it's about two young brothers who move into a neighborhood. They're like kind of poor um, and they're getting ready to go to school, but they fucking hate school. Isn't this relatable? Yes. It really oh, sucks. God. School sucks. School is my mortal enemy, and I'm gonna kill it. <laughs> <laughs> and so, the first like few days of going to school, they just like hang outside in like near the school and don't really do anything. Um, at one point, one of the little boys um, does like his calligraphy like uh, homework. Um, and ha- he like pays like uh, some teen to like pretend to grade it for him, so he'll have something to go home with. And it's a lot of really cute, like kind of like funny kid stuff for the or early half of it. But then towards the end, it gets into a lot of like class uh, issues where the boys uh, see their dad be like kind of a kiss ass at like his boss's house and like their boss the boss's son is like one of the main bullies uh for the boys and he's like oh man like am i gonna have to like live like this like you like am i are we are we gonna be cucked to our boss (laughs) and like is is he gonna like be paying us and like is this how we have to live and he's like they the dad sort of explains social mobility to the boys (laughs) and that's like no you could be a bunch of different things when you get older but i think that's really compelling and in general like with a lot of the Ozu movies that deal with kids, I think he's onto something like very hip where it's kids oftentimes like that, like social and class dynamics completely go over their heads and just how they first encounter that and have to have it explained to them is really uh, interesting. And it gets really heartfelt in that uh, respect. And it's a, a really great early Ozu. Nice. What about you, Eddie? Uh, last week on the middle section, I talked about a a pink film uh, by Nishimura Shigoro called Rear Window Afternoon Affair. And boy, was that the start of something. I have since watched eight more uh, pink films, uh, X-rated films from the nation of Japan. Yeah, I, I noticed your tissue box was empty. <laughs> Come on, folks. <laughs> uh, we're doing this for critical studies only. Look, I'm not going to start talking about bang bus episodes I've watched <laughs> in the middle segment. Anyway. <laughs> that hurt, Eddie. <laughs> I mean, it's like, show a little respect for like things I'm personally researching. <laughs> I'm doing a lot of research, too. Anyway. 
Um, yeah, so I got into, uh, I mean, Malcolm's brought up uh, Sato before on this show, Hisayasu Sato. Uh, I watched a few of his, uh, you know, 1988's Brain Sex, uh, 1989's Pervert Ward S&M Clinic, and 1993's Pleasure Masturbation New Wife Version. <laughs> that one, pretty funny, I gotta say. <laughs> pretty funny conceit to that one. Brain sex, even better. Uh, brain sex is one that we should do on the podcast because it fits in with our radio days uh, recurring theme. It's nice. about these you know two sisters who run like this pirate radio show where they follow and then ends up encouraging uh, you know awful violent nude crimes uh that That you can only imagine what happens in that movie um but it's also like the one that was not in absolute dog shit vhs quality that i watched and uh it's a looker folks it's a i mean all three of those movies very good looking but um i wanted to talk about uh nishimura again um i didn't do any background on him last week but it turns out he was like he was an AD on uh, Seijin Suzuki's uh, Fighting Delinquents uh, before getting promoted to a director uh, for Nikatsu for their, uh, you know, Roman porno series, uh, which were, you know, porno, softcore porno movies that were generally based on novels. Uh, so one that I watched was called Rope Cosmetology from 1978. And I mean, there's some rope stuff in it, but it should be called dog fuckery. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Leash cosmetology. Yeah, that's actually much more apt. Now, I don't know who remembers earlier in the summer when the dog girl got famous on Twitter. Uh, It was like a girl who had like TikTok videos of her drinking out of a dog bowl at like the food court. And everyone's like, dog, I fucking hate this so much. It's so gross because they got turned on by it (laughs) uh certain podcast listeners may recognize uh her from an interview she did at one point it was really funny and uh so it was great to see her represented in this film uh by nishimura (laughs) where uh you know a woman who's kind of bored with her sex life with her husband as so many wives in these movies are uh you know seeks out the advice of her very horny uh friends who are a couple and they they do a bit of dog play you know and uh so the husband of that couple introduces the idea to her husband to train your wife to be a dog and, uh, you know, it's, it's not quite working. You know, she, she's almost in the dog mindset, but not fully in the dog mindset. So he lathers her up in butter and has a uh, German shepherd come fuck her. And uh, I, from that point on, she is a very dedicated dog girl. It's one of the most horrendous movies I've ever seen. Uh, I mean, these are like horror pornos, you know, and like this one in particular is hard to watch like it's it's very like i don't know but it also definitely has a a dry sense of humor about it uh just the way that these people are just like looking on as this absolute debauchery is going down it's just hilarious and uh nishimura is like very uh, skilled uh behind the camera i I read one letterbox blurb that said he was like one of the least skilled nikatsu directors and it's like i already don't believe that even though i haven't seen almost any other nikatsu directors other than suzuki i guess but anyway yeah all the 70s ones are in cinemascope and look really fucking good so 
check out some pinku if you will <laughs> uh so many of these are available on rare lust for free a great uh resource for the uh you know erotic side of cinema malcolm you've plugged erotic uh what, what's that one erati dot like erotica but with a g and there's the website period indicator is like before ga and they have i feel like they have some um like pink films but it's mostly like italian erotic films so, i was gonna say yeah. most of the i guess x-rated stuff we've talked about on the podcast has basically just been italian like, yeah true. it's been mainly european but like 80 percent italian so yeah. it's, it's nice to go you know see what other national cinemas are doing in terms of the trash the nasties true you know i, I tried to get Visitor Q was kind of getting there. Visitor Q was yeah. like halfway there, yeah, especially yeah. compared to the the last Sato that I watched today. Brain Sex was kind of similar, mm-hmm. um, but the other two Sados are so much more like moody and like dissociative and just Definitely. like nothing I've ever seen before. So I'm really excited to keep watching his stuff in particular. I want to check out that uh, that dog movie. That sounds interesting. It's it's a wild. <laughs> one. I gotta say, Rope Cosmetology. Like I recommend it, but I can't say it's like. I, I it's not for everyone. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> one of the few times the I'll, kids I'll definitely go recommend with reservations. <laughs> yeah. uh, if you want a softer one, go to the one I talked about last week, Afternoon Affair, Rear Window. That one is quite pleasant and funny throughout. Some nice light voyeurism. <laughs> yeah, know, no, no nasty dog dick. Tom, tonight the stars are out for a special sneak preview of a straight-to-DVD feature that will soon be in the three ninety nine bin at your local car wash. This was also the one I had the most notes on. Oh, that's always <laughs> encouraging. <dude. laughs> when I see <laughs> Malcolm's <laughs> notebook filled up, I know we're in for a doozy. I mean, did you did you watch Family Guy? I mean, I think we all watch Family Guy as like twelve year olds, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'd realized that I'd, I'd like, uh, I feel like I've kind of seen this before. I have seen yeah, it. I've yeah. seen it like four times. These are, <laughs> there are so many classic Family Guy bits in this one. Yeah, true. Well, because it's three episodes, like there there are also three episodes, you know, e- edited from it. We're talking, of course, about Family Guy Presents Stewie Griffin, The Untold Story, the 2005 straight to DVD movie. Those three episodes would only be, what, 66 minutes or so. Uh, So there's a lot of, like, padding out. And there's a lot of other stuff, you know, uh, probably deleted scenes from those episodes to make out the narrative arc. But uh, it's a a real doozy, isn't it? (laughs) And they're, like, three different, like, B-plots that happen. I mean, there's the Grind My Gears one in what would be the first episode. There's uh, uh, Peter and Lois trying to get the kids to fuck. Mm -hmm. And uh, is there a B-plot in the third one? I mean, so I feel like we're presupposing a lot of knowledge for Fair our enough. listeners Fair right enough. now. So there's this family <laughs> in Quahog, Rhode Island. Peter Griffin is a large man who wears glasses and works at a beer factory. Uh, you have uh, Lois Griffin, played by Miss Swan herself, uh, Alex Borstein, uh, the, the wife, of course. And uh, you have... You know, uh, kids Meg and Chris, dog Brian, uh, rest in peace up there with Alex Trebek. And of course, <laughs> our, our real like low key mascot of the show, little baby Stewie. 
Who uh, talks, by the way. Yeah. And so chaos ensues whenever this family leaves the damn house. Uh, and frankly, there would be chaos if they all stayed in the house, too. <laughs> this this, cra- this crazy family, they're insane. And they're always throwing to cutaway jokes. And uh, it, it's a very crude sense of humor that's very pop culture reference based and also feels like its own kind of style of TV writing uh, as just a pure kind of joke machine for Seth to do his classic funny voices. I feel like I'm underselling this. I like this movie. Yeah. (laughs) No, I mean, a lot of... I like Family Guy. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. This is a very weird thing to talk about because it's like, not it doesn't i mean it feels like three episodes of family guys strung <laughs> yeah. together with like i don't know I, there should be to be continued at the end at like the yeah at the each markers of three episodes but like i don't know a lot of what i enjoy about this is just like it feels like being a young boy watching a family guy again yeah yeah i have uh, memories of uh Huddling in front of like a seven inch TV trying to hide Family Guy from my parents. Oh, yeah. Just I like, had that same thing when I was 10 years old. And my friend told me about Family Guy. I tweeted about this, but my friend who described Family Guy to me in the fifth grade classroom sang the theme song for me <laughs> and replaced the word sex with stuff. So it's stuff on TV. Uh, and he told me about how crazy Stewie was and stuff. So I had to watch it. Uh, and then like my mom saw what it actually was and was like, yeah, you're not allowed to watch. This. Yeah. Also, I, I feel like maybe I've said this before, but my my uh, great uncle, who is a Catholic priest, uh, notorious Family Guy enjoyer, but he felt like the, he, they crossed the line when there was like a cutaway joke about Mother Teresa, and so he stopped watching. Sometimes you just got to put your foot in the, ground, <laughs> foot in the sand, draw a line in the sand with your foot. I mean, they do take it pretty far in this episode. Yeah, there's there's a couple. I'm like, did did Peter go there? <laughs> Peter, no. (laughs) It's such a weird sensibility, though, because uh, like The Simpsons, it's kind of like uh, Seth and company, you know, the the writing staff, directors, whatever. They're they're. I don't even I don't even want to accredit the visual uh, designers of this with any of that but the writers at least are kind of obsessed with the notion of old-timey kind of things you know the first cutaway in this is to these old-timey strong men who are on a bicycle which you know it got me that was funny yeah yeah uh but i think i mean to make a very easy comparison where the simpsons succeeds is in like the actual form there's so much lazy background animation in this there are scenes like at the bar after it's all over there's just eight minutes of like post credit to kind of drag it out <laughs> oh to yeah just 86 like... minutes and you just see joe just fucking dozing off in the background because there's nothing for the animators to do with him i guess or there would be if they were you know paid more maybe i don't know how animation works but it just seems like the laziest fucking animation i've ever seen at some points that's what i mean malcolm and i were talking about this beforehand but i remember when i like Around the time I started, I stopped watching Family Guy was when I think they were doing some of their laziest bits. Like, do you remember when they would cut away to Conway Twitty sometimes? Oh, yeah. That was rough. There, I, I believe there's a tweet from the rapper Currency that is like very infuriated at the amount of Conway Twitty Family Guy episodes he's watched recently. <laughs> but like, honest, looking back now, it's that's kind of a really funny bit. That's a good troll to do. Just like because it's like it's clearly they don't have 
like three minutes worth of material. And from just hearing podcasts and stuff, you know, famous podcaster uh, Hayes from Hollywood Handbook is a former Family Guy writer. And he's described the process a few times. And like, it's an exception to how a lot of shows run where there's basically two separate writer's rooms where they just write like the bare skeleton of a plot and then a whole other writer's room that's just writing gags. Uh, and you can really tell, like once I real, once I learned that I was, I watched the show again and I was like, Oh, completely like, yeah. you know, obviously the gags are completely arbitrary, w- which cutaway goes where kind. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know, there are moments where it feels like the formula is there and some of the jokes are hitting and it's fun i mean yeah this is it's a like you said it's a joke machine so i just i can you could really only take the show i feel like by a joke by joke basis yeah what's funny you know what's not and you know sometimes their cultural handbag could be a little bit you know perplexing (laughs) you know referencing things i'm like what the fuck is that that's the thing i think (laughs) seth mcfarland is like an old-timey obsessor but also like a perez hilton type like he's definitely a bitch you know (laughs) (laughs) Why don't you say what you meant to say? (laughs) No. (laughs) I mean, uh, it's like the old timey sensibility is like this is a classic style of Family Guy episode that's like a parody of the Road 2 movies. Yeah, of course. Um, And that's like, that's, I like when it's, when it's Brian and Stewie at it again, you know, they're going to have a great adventure. Those are the best episodes. I love the title cards too. Very old. You know, Seth's a classic man. He's the Jidenna of the week. No doubt about it. All right. I got, I got a hot take. Family Guy hot take. Ready for you guys to eat up. Um, I like, I think Peter's hilarious. I, I kind of laugh. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, this transforms into an actual tech, but, um, I think Peter's hilarious and most of the stuff, most of the Peter antics, I do find at least a little bit funny, even when I'm not laughing. Stewie, on the other hand, I don't really find Stewie that funny. <laughs> you don't feel for Stewie in your heart though. <laughs> kind of, he's kind of annoying. I don't know. <laughs> My other question is, is and you guys are big Frasier fans, right? Is yeah. Stewie a Frasier riff? I, you know, now that you say it, it like his adult character is very yeah. Frasier-ish, definitely. Yeah. Okay. Where it's like old school coded as gay, but obviously like with gay people still existing in that world, but mm-hmm. with a 1930s sense of coding the character as gay, you know? Okay. All He's right. like in my Stewie opinion, is as gay as like Seth MacFarlane is. Yeah, definitely. Well, I I think that's really <laughs> really a good way to put it because I think you know um, <laughs> Seth MacFarlane. You know he's. But yeah, I, I really do see Stewie as the stand-in for old, old Seth. It's Stewie and Brian are the oh, stand-in true. for because Brian is the libtard political mouthpiece. Yeah. of of uh, Seth MacFarlane. Yeah, he's the classic facts and logic liberal. Mm-hmm. You're really gonna sit there with a straight face and tell me a flat tax doesn't favor the wealthy? Not one bit, and it saves millions of man hours that the complexity of the current tax code wastes, which you would realize if you weren't retarded. Hey, give him back! Stop that! What are you doing? Give me back his leg! Hey, let's put let's not let's put some respect on Seth's name. He was the first one to go after old Harvey. That's true. That's true. I don't know. This probably the, tr- <laughs> the first one. <laughs> he was the very first person. Yeah. You kind of have to give him credit there for the whole thing. Yeah. Um, 
the as we were saying the the points of reference are so weird though because like in terms of movie parodies it goes from you know stewie as short round in indiana jones uh right to prince of tides of all things <laughs> like this you know ba- uh uh barbara streisand and nick nolte therapy movie where they you know censor barbara streisand's nose which is <laughs> just like doesn't even make sense really like I, I i don't know that bit even since i was 11 was like all right i get that it's a joke but it's not the, I don't know. I mean, I guess like I it's get it. It's not that me in great. a weird way. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. It's just a joke that I've never thought was funny, but has always been in the back of my head for like yeah. fifteen years now. Oh, and there's the good the the uh, another good movie reference gag is uh, if Peter directed Terms of Endearment. Oh, and oh amazing! <laughs> that one was yeah. I was shocked. When I mean, I saw that. <laughs> as James L. Brooks auteurists, we can only see you know the vision that Jim had to bring in to recover uh, from what Peter was doing behind the camera. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it, it is a, a strange grab bag of references between like who they're making fun of in pop culture and what the random things that you know seth and the writers are thinking about mm-hmm. and it's also the fact that you can't be that timely you know it takes True. a while they're they're writing shows that come out two years later sometimes uh so i guess like some of the jokes just feel out of time kind of in a way that is kind of fun in, in a in an almost, I guess, mainly ironic way, like yeah. some of the stinkers uh, that still because <laughs> there's some pretty bad jokes yeah. jokes in this, but like they yeah. kind of get me on a second level of anti comedy or whatever you mm-hmm. want to fucking call it, um, and I'm just having a good time. You know, I mean, yeah. the the music by Ron Jones, I, I will say, has always been an asset to Family Guy. Uh, I, I think it's you know it, it's. I think sitcoms and shows like that need to have a good uh, musical backing to keep it moving along. While the references are out of time and like exist, I mean, I think they're like Family Guy gravitates towards the 80s a whole lot. But just in general, like this is a cultural artifact is very dated. Like, I mean... I have had the unfortunate displeasure of watching some recent Family Guy episodes. Yeah. And you can definitely tell the the PC police have gotten to Seth MacFarlane <laughs> and he's had to tone down his raunchy, uh, raunchy and raucous comedy. Yeah. Because, um, like, you know, of course Family Guy relies on the cutaway, right? And I think one of my favorite set pieces here are kind of the red carpet scenes. Yeah. Like uh, before and after kind of the, the movie per se because i i don't know we just there's just not as much cutaway stuff well you, the you, second half true. of that is back well yeah. the cutaways but the, i, I the do agree one. the first one is good drew barrymore showing up with the kool-aid what's man. the joke there that's what i'm just that they've true. both been in family guy before and okay. that the kool-aid man is her date you know all right it's, it's really not much of a joke it's that they got the drew barrymore cameo cool for them like no <laughs> I mean, since it's a big movie you have to bring out all the faves like yeah. there's the evil monkey in the closet yeah, there of course. too. It, it's pretty fun you know he gives them all that hollywood personality it's it's pretty funny true but i think that gets to what you're saying like how they interpret different celebrities or whatever kind mm-hmm. of like think of the britney spears one you know pretty negative yeah image of britney spears is like what makes them like drew barrymore so much over britney spears it's just kind of a funny exactly. distinction that you're like she's on our team yeah <laughs> so uh the main plot of this though stewie sees himself on tv and he it's just got to be his dad you know it's the only kind of guy with the stewie head in the world 
but you know real fans will remember back to a cutaway from an early season where uh the story of stewie's head is told when they're bouncing on the bed and uh stewie like hits the ceiling fan or something like that uh and then his head is shaped like that you know i i remember the classics <laughs> family guy just must be backloaded with a lore just yeah. all those cutaways just oh my god someone trying to get like a, a clear vision of that that might that might be tough that, yeah. that's gonna that's got to be like a john boyce style spreadsheet of family guy relationships <laughs> the folks at the family guy wiki are just up for weeks yeah <laughs> that would be awesome for john boyce to do a family guy thing like because he could definitely go off on some stats about cutaway gags and stuff like that sure yeah i mean like you said it's you could break this down like a science exactly you know, and i don't I, think you said that but I, sure well no i do think that <laughs> the writer's room feels very mathematical yeah. at times and mm-hmm. it's just like when jokes work they work and it's such a machine as i said mm-hmm. that like it is a science that gets less and less effective every year it seems yeah but at least there were a few years of it being pretty funny right yeah and i think and i think to give this uh, movie, this motion picture credit, there's some, there's some. I think there's some funny concepts outside of the cutaway gags. Like I enjoy, I mean, the grinding your gear segment, classic Family Guy. Yeah. I like the, the kind of uh, weird family trying to get the, you know, daughters and sons to fuck subplot. And I like that, uh, you know, Stewie sees himself. He's like, God damn, I'm such like a fucking loser. Yeah. In the future, it's a uh, yeah. I mean, the grinds my gears thing to give any sort of credit, you know, it, it's slight uh, media like critique as like that was quite a rant there you know we're looking for an everyman to rant about petty nonsensical irritants to replace our spotlight on the middle east segment the main meat of the story yes do we sees himself on tv a guy who must be his father so he goes to track him down in san francisco and what do you know we get a little uh it feels like vertigo in here you know (laughs) stewie's following the man that we will find out later is not his father but himself following a mirror image of something that shouldn't exist and you know the the bernard herman-esque strings coming in as he's following him through san francisco and uh, and then later it comes back to the vertigo thing as they have to, you know, undo or redo this like traumatic event. He gets a second chance at it and has to sacrifice a life, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, Seth remembers the classics. That's all I'm saying. Seth definitely had vertigo at the back of his mind during this. He made all the writers watch vertigo twice before <laughs> the writer's room. And he treated Nolan. all of the women in the writer's room like Hitchcock treated <laughs> Anyway, I, I learned that from that movie Hitchcock 2012 that apparently uh, Alfred Hitchcock, uh, not a great guy, so he shouldn't watch his movies anymore. I think that was the message of the Hitchcock biopic. That You guys remember that? No, but did you guys see the family guy where it's like making fun of like Wes Anderson, Michael Bay? Oh, and, yeah. Uh, where it's Tarantino family guys, different directors. Yeah, that's not that good. Yeah, it's not <laughs> their take on autourism. You know, there's some funny visual gag. I think that might be the last time they ever had a funny visual gag probably because they never really do anymore, especially um, the Godfather joke is kind of funny. You, you guys remember that? What? One? Wait, what's the Godfather? They're gag? like about to die, and then like it's like I have a confession. Like I feel like the Godfather like presupposes itself or something like that. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, was, I I I know that Family Guy gag. That's kind of good. I mean, that's the thing is it's like good. I have a uh, will occasionally like just like because Family Guy I think is just the sometimes the most lowest like brain dead thing Definitely. I could put on. Yeah, for but sure. But then you, you just want to engage with that sometimes. Mm-hmm. You just want to like check in on Peter and Lois <laughs> and see how they're doing. 
and you'll get a laugh sometimes. <laughs> you'll mostly just be groaning or like on your phone scrolling through Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. The hit rate for like most family guys not very high, but for the peak, you know, surprisingly decent. <laughs> what, what, what would you say the peak is? Because I feel like you guys are working with a little bit more family guy knowledge than me. Here. I would say the seasons leading up to this and pretty much this and maybe one after or so, like, you know, mm-hmm. throughout the early to mid 2000s. Okay. I would, but that's also it's like the SNL thing where people say their favorite is just when they were growing up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I the, Those seasons were for me like fifth to eighth grade. So I thought they were great. And then mm-hmm. in high school, I stopped watching it because I thought it was for, you know, immature kids. Not really. I just stopped watching it. <laughs> Moved on to Seinfeld. Yeah, my I was I was raised in a Seinfeld household, so I got I got Seinfeld before Family Guy. So maybe oh, okay. I I mean yeah. I got some Seinfeld before sure. Family Guy for sure. My dad was ahead, uh, but like I I didn't go like full Seinfeld nerd mode mm-hmm. until high school. Respect. Yeah, and I haven't quit, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I guess there's not too much else to say. Uh, the as we said, yeah, the red carpet stuff up top that adds uh, to the episodes within is funny. But then on the back end, it's like the movie ends at 80 minutes, and there's nine more minutes basically, and it's just like one cutaway for each character saying what they've been up to since the movie ended. Yeah, and pretty much none of those are funny. It no. really left me with a sour taste. Like I, <laughs> I was going to log this at like two or two and a half on Letterboxd, and I was like, you know what? I objectively had a good time watching this just the last like seven minutes were a real fucking stretch for me as i said joe is just in the background of these shots just <laughs> blinking every 10 seconds as you watch these characters just dump dialogue for no reason i'm trying to like i'm trying to categorize the jokes right because there's some that are like just like no reaction at all like they're not bad enough to where it's like you that's like kind of ironically funny it's just yeah. like all right there's that and then there's the one there's a couple that are like actually funny and then there are some and i think these are the most valuable bits here that are just like just kind of i don't want this might be too powerful of word, but jaw dropping or just you're like oh fuck like the <laughs> condoleezza rice one uh <laughs> oh cut away. my god in particular maybe i was like ah oh, fuck jesus christ <laughs> yeah and like there's something about that to where it's just like this is so extreme to like a very like goofy you know it's family guy yeah and it's like this I don't know something like the Condoleezza Rice joke is like very acidic and like kind of just it is like the way it's like dropped in there you're just like holy fucking shit and that's you know maybe that's the most valuable moments in Family Guy where it could kind of surprise you you know I mean just shock you with some tastelessness yeah no it does get like extremely tasteless at points and that's like what as a child like that's the crack I was looking yeah, for with yeah. Family Guy is just like I wanted to know why my parents wouldn't let me watch it. <laughs> the show your parents don't want you to watch. <laughs> um, you know, you, you, JT, you brought up the you know chance to do cutaway jokes. Um, I thought I might do one. You know, okay, please do. Uh, feel free to cut it if it's not up to snuff. Okay, but uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, I am cutting that. <laughs> Come on, man. I'm uh, just testing no, the water. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that's good. <laughs> It's not that well thought out. Too. Right, Maybe if it was right, more intricate. All right. Um, you fuck, go. We need to think of cutaway gags now. Um, I, I came prepared. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all I had was the Peter Griffin soundboard, really. But that's. Uh, all right. Uh, I'm giving this one three bullets. I'm going to give this one two and a half bullets. I think it's. I don't know. It's 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 an interesting thing to watch. I'm glad I watched it. I, I think I'm a little too generous with this whole <laughs> ordeal, but yeah, 
Family Family Guy, like, as... I'm just trying to fight the good fight, Yeah, exactly. You know? As, like, good jokes as there is. Like, it is, like, just so dog shit lazy. Oh, it's <laughs> one of those... It's, like, I'm giving this three, but I. it's so hard to say it's, like, good or anything like that. Yeah. The, the, any, it's so easy to admit how terrible it is. Yeah. But I think, you know, as I said, I undeniably had a good time. True. And I kind of wasn't joking about the Peter stuff. I do think he is, like, far and away the funniest aspect of Family Guy. <laughs> I prefer the greased up deaf guy. <laughs> Peter Griffin rules is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> also say Adam West almost always funny in his cameos. Mm-hmm. Um I'm giving it 3 bullets as well. Again, being far too generous with it, but like there's just something about um just watching Family Guy again that like gives me that 2005 feeling and also i like i mean some gags that like i know you hate stewie malcolm but um that's the point stewie won <laughs> stewie needs to fucking mind his manners the that's concept of a, of a baby teaching a grown man to fuck i like that That was funny um there was some funny stewie when stuff. when stewie sings the mash theme when he's drunk like that like that was not good i i like that <laughs> What was that when like Stewie meets his future self and they sing like a Diana Ross song to each other for like a, like a minute? I think it was shorter than that. Yeah. It was that was way that was way that was like eight lines too long. That's that's why there's the rumors <laughs> with Seth. No emails this week. Uh, Two dollars a month. Patreon.com slash extended clip. This week, as JT said, we are going to be talking about Equinox Flower by Ozu. And right now, if you pull it up, you can find us talking to Nathan Smith about Oliver Stone's JFK. This revitalized my love for America, uh, (laughs) the movie JFK. It made me realize, you know, of course there's problems with America, but we need to fucking solve them. We can't let them win. Patriots only. (laughs) Uh, Malcolm, did you pick out a double feature for next week? Yes. Yes, I did. I forgot about that. Um, so it's winter weather. It's been very cold. It's like 55 degrees here and I've been dying because of how cold it is. And I wanted to pick some movies that reflected, you know, the change in weather. And so for the first one, we got Docks of New York, Joseph von Sternberg, heavy fog rolling in. B-side, we got Snow on the Bluff. This was a more popular movie earlier on in the early 2010s that I feel like kind of faded um, with its popularity. I feel like it was one of the maybe first movies that like a lot of people watched on Netflix or something in like 2012. But it's like what I remember, this is, I guess, I'm not even going to look it up. It's like a found footage style movie about like a a drug dealer in Atlanta. It's very like hip hop centric. Okay. Sounds uh, good to me. I've always wanted to check it out because I'm like. I you know I I love I love rap music from Atlanta I love <laughs> I love Young Thug and Gucci Mane so <laughs> maybe this might be a movie for me and then um you know the not to get too ahead of ourselves but then the Patreon pick uh, I had lined up as a play Misty for me oh Clint Eastwood's uh, debut feature let's fucking go I I knew the boys would want to sink into that one so uh, I can't wait we got to do some more Clint I think 2021 resolution a lot more Clint. That was that was my idea. I was like, you know, who could we talk more about than Clint Eastwood? We yeah. got so much to say about <laughs> the guy. Let's dig in. All right. Well, uh, we will see you next week. Oh, uh, we're, there was no emails this week, but please email us for next week. ExtendedClipPodcast at gmail.com. We're at ExtendedClip69 on Twitter.
and we're everywhere. We're watching. <laughs> so don't don't slip up. Tell your friends. <laughs> you know, give us five stars on iTunes. Fuck it. Why not? Yeah. Why don't you do something Even for four us? Four is like fine, honestly. <laughs> no one, yeah. Five or nothing. Five <laughs> yeah, or one. <laughs> yeah, honestly, yeah. If you want to give us a four, give us a one. <laughs> I I don't agree with that because there's like no, an average need, rating. Right? No, we need to be controversial. It's well, like one of those movies you see on Letterbox that has like the, the crazy pol- curve, exactly. the curve that looks like it's flipping you off. <laughs> <laughs> if you're going out of your way to leave like three stars on a podcast, you're a fucking dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's face facts. All right, we're gonna. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Uh, everybody, it is so great to be here hosting. Extended clip. Uh, you know, I have, I have loved this show since I was a kid, and I promised myself there was one thing I would do if I ever got to host. So if you'll just indulge me for a moment. Uh, like on uh, Family Guy. <laughs> But I'm very happy to be here as myself. Martin Rask, director of Midnight Run and Beverly Hills Cop. The voices kind of did get me where I am tonight. All right, you're doing good, buddy. Oh, you're doing the voices, you draggle tail. <laughs>